All right. Well, let's uh, let's let's jump into our study. We will learn something in addition to the Spanish word for squirrel. Um, Ardea was that it? Ardea. Okay. If everyone got saved? Yeah, in Albania? Saved. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't know where he's going with this. Um, all right, well, hopefully you guys are in Romans 8 right now. If you're not, you can keep, keep flipping there or uh, turn to there. So uh, two weeks ago, we, were, we started Romans 8. Uh, I kind of titled this Spirit-Filled People. I might even call it Spirit-Fueled People. But um, we're going to kind of dive a little bit deeper. But last time, we really just wanted to lay the foundation. Uh, Paul you know, makes, the, um, makes the claim, right, that if you are a follower of Jesus, then you have the Spirit of God in you. And if you have the Spirit of God in you, then you're no longer captive to the flesh, but now you can be led by the Spirit. So there's this kind of idea of like, when I, when I say these first world choices, now we're kind of getting into like the, the choices of where we as believers have this ability now to choose to be led by the Spirit or to, be, to choose to be led by the flesh. Now I'm going to read uh, verses 7 through 11 just to kind of recapture the last part of like what we went over and then uh, we'll, we'll uh, look at uh, verses 12 and, and following. So, Romans chapter 8, verse 7, we read, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And that's kind of like a great contrast that we see. Um, and it's interesting that you know Paul says, you're given life in your mortal body through the Spirit. So it's not that we have been replaced, our lives have been replaced, and we are now only spirit. We are still in our mortal body, but we now have this ability to be able to be led by the Spirit of God who dwells within us. And so we remain in the flesh, but now our spirit has something that can guide us to something that is edifying, that is eternal, and that's where we're going to go a little bit more. Because now, what does that mean? Now that we have the ability to live in the Spirit, what are the implications of that? And that's where kind of Paul goes next in verses 12 and following. So verse 12, we read, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body... You will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. All right, so let's just pause there in the middle of that paragraph. 
Um, we see that, you know, Paul says, you know, that we are debtors to the flesh. Why do you think he puts it that way? We are, or actually he says, uh, we are no longer debtors to the flesh, which impl- the implication is that we were debtors to the flesh. But why put it in those terms? Okay, perfect. What, uh, what do you mean by that? Or explain that a little bit further. And they, they well, because why? Because they, they own you in what sense? So if you have a if you have a debt, right? Like correct. Yeah. So if you right, if you owe the bank some money, they dictate how much you're going to pay and when you pay. I mean, you agree to the terms of that, but when it comes to that obligation, right? You must. Fulfill your obligation to them, and if not, they have the rights to, you know, whatever the contract bears through. So, right, so you are in debt to the person that you owe someone, someone, you know, money to. If we're talking about a debtor in that sense, so when Paul says that, you know, we, I guess again, with the implications that we were debtors to the flesh, what does that mean? Okay, we're ruled by the flesh. It's not us that dictates the terms, right, of, and it's kind of weird to say, like, our interaction with the flesh. It's the flesh, right, that has control over us. Anything else you want to add? Yeah, you know, it's interesting here, and, and maybe by, um, you know, just by the language, right? He says, we're no longer debtors in the flesh to live according to the flesh. He doesn't say that we're in debt to the Spirit. Um, although, he, we would say we've been bought by Christ, we are slaves to Christ. But this idea about necessarily um, in bondage or in the same way of like held captive, uh, the Spirit right now is a choice and a freedom that we're given. And we should make that decision to live in the Spirit. But we had no choice when we were in the flesh. And so he kind of paints that picture, right, that that is no longer the case. But as followers of Jesus, we do have a choice. So what is the choice that we have? What do we see in verse 13? One is on the negative. So we're no longer in bondage, in debt. We don't have an obligation to the flesh, but we still can what? What does he say in that first part, verse 13? We can still live by the flesh, right? And we often, I don't know how often, but we often do live by the flesh, right? Paul had just made that argument in chapter 7, right, where he lamented, you know, wanting to do certain things, but not being able to because of the flesh that he was in. So you have a choice, 
And one is to yield to the flesh, right? Even though now in Christ you're no longer indebted to the flesh, you have an option, right? And so um, we're offered a choice, but we sometimes, again, live by one means. The opposite, though, if you are indebted to the flesh, if you are not in Christ, all of the things that you do are um, mastered by fulfilling the ends of what the flesh desires. Or, what's the other option? The, the end, of, end of 13, what does he say? Yeah. So he says you can either submit to the flesh or live in the flesh, or he says you put to death the flesh. And so that's what it means to live by the Spirit. And that's what we'll see in just a little bit. To live by the Spirit is to put to death the flesh, right? The flesh is always persistent, is always around, and you're either succumbing to it or you're steering away from it. It's just like how we live because we live in our mortal bodies, right? And that's, that's what Paul says. So then the question is, how are we to do this? How are we to do this? And so Paul doesn't get into that detail as much here, but in a similar book, a uh, letter that he writes to the Galatians, he wants to address a particular issue that's going on, and he talks about living in the flesh as contrast to living in the Spirit. So why don't you turn to Galatians 5. And we'll look at that real quick. It's a well-known passage, right? You know, the fruit of the Spirit is, uh, is a verse that Either we or we often make our kids memorize it. And Paul is again taking, picking up language, right, about uh, what it, you know, this idea of fruit. And we'll look at that in just a second. Um, but Jesus had talked about, you know, used similar language when he said, how can you identify somebody? Uh, you can identify them by their fruit. Well, in uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 1, Paul says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. We've got like similar language that Paul is using here in Galatians that he's using in Romans, but he's just doing it, uh, addressing really kind of a, a, a little bit different uh, slant. Um, in Galatia, they were really struggling whether they were to do things by the deeds of the law and upholding the law, and it was really becoming... Um, you know, things that they were doing like this legalism and how the law really was in relationship to the things that they do. Verse 2 says, I, Paul, say you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So he's addressing this idea of specifically keeping the Mosaic law. We've talked about that in different studies and how different groups, you know, had these arguments. But down in verse 16... He says, but I say, I want you to walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so this kind of helps us to understand, well, how do we address these things that we're dealing with? What is the struggle that we can have in our flesh? Often when we think about struggling in the flesh, we think about kind of carnal desires. And he'll get to that in Galatians. And when we talked about Romans 1, these were some of the issues, right, that was um, that Paul said, when you don't thank God, when you turn your, your sights from God, when you ignore creation, ironically, he'll get back to that in, in Romans 8, and we'll see that in a second. But when you do those things, right, the culture starts to slide in a particular way and starts to do things that are kind of gratifying the flesh. 
But here, this idea of like gratifying the flesh is actually in a sense of legalism, of doing these things that you're like checking these boxes, right? And so there's kind of two different forms. You can walk in the flesh by thinking that you're doing the right things, by checking these boxes of thinking like this is what, these are the, the things I need to do in order to please God. And certainly there are people who are far from God, who are not religious, who are living in the flesh. And there are two sides that even as a believer, right, we can struggle with. We can struggle with being those that are within a religion, right, those that we have, you know, we come to church, we do certain practices, where we can even fall into certain patterns, right? Those are probably the most dangerous for us. I wouldn't say the most dangerous, but they're the, the ones that we think we are doing the right things, but they can be damning for us, not damning in the sense of our salvation, but in the sense of not doing what God desires. Or the opposite is gratifying the flesh and the disease, those carnal desires, right, that uh, Paul will talk about. And so Paul says, in order to walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, right? So there's, again, this choice. You either fall into the line of, of, of gratifying the desires of the flesh or you walk in the Spirit. Verse 17, for desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Picking up similar language that he talked about in chapter 7 of Romans where he's saying, I wanted to do certain things, but I couldn't do them, you know, or I I wouldn't do them because of my flesh. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's a pretty like exhaustive list. We looked at a lot of these things and, and what the attitudes were in Romans 1. Um, this would be kind of a complement to that. And these are the things that you would readily identify as, yeah, those are carnal things. Those are deeds of the flesh. And he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Right? If the pattern of your life is wrapped up into these things, that is the fruit that you bear, and that fruit doesn't say that you are in Christ it certainly does not say that you are walking in the Spirit because people who have this as a pattern of their life, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so that's a choice you can make. You can still, if you are in Christ, you still have the opportunity to live in the flesh. But this is like the, the, this is the end. This is what that picture is painted by. These are all the hues and the colors Right, that that portrait looks like when you are walking in the flesh. And he said, ultimately, those type of people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such, against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. 
And so he kind of, again, shows, like, these are the two ways. But he gives, again, some, some, what does it look like if you are walking in the Spirit as opposed to walking in the flesh? And he doesn't stop there, though, because then when he gets to chapter 6, he's like, now here are some practical things that you can do. And he specifically is addressing this to those that are in Galatia. But these are some things that we can keep in mind, right? Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, right? So that's one thing that you can do. You can have as a a quick to respond, those that are caught in sin, you want to restore them, right? And you restore them gently. You don't put them down as saying like they're, you know, they're in sin and they have, um, you know, Forsaken the name of Christ, like the way that Paul says that you are spiritual, right, is restoring them in a spirit of gentleness, right, assuming that they want to be restored. And then he says, keep watching yourself lest you too be tempted. He's again talking about pride. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So how can you, uh, again, walk in the spirit is by reaching out and helping others. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will, also, will he also reap. And so you know, Paul gives some, again, practical ways that you can do that. And so he talks about reaping and sowing. Verse 9, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So if you're kind of struggling to understand how do I walk in the Spirit, right? And, you know, how can I be more patient? How can I exercise self-control? Um, you know, all of these things that will elicit the fruit of the Spirit will then start doing things for others. Start bearing with others. Start understanding that you are no better than others. Um, Not only bearing their burdens, right, but restoring them when they sin. Why? Because that's what you would want when you, you sin, right? For you to be restored when you sin as well. And for people to point that out in a spirit of gentleness. But unfortunately... You know, when we are uh, within, uh, right, religious circles, right, sometimes pride gets in the way and we look down with the eyes of judgment. We already talked about that, right, as a response for Romans 1. That's where Paul went to Romans 2 is that, you know, when you look at the culture and as they start sinning, as they start following that path, there is a sense that pride starts to well in. And he says, do not judge, right, because... By that same standard, you will be judged as well. And so, um, back in Romans 8, right, he says, If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How do we do that? Paul gives us some help in Galatians 5. And he'll also color this out in a little bit in, in practical ways. Uh, later on in Romans as well. But back in Romans 8, right, we see that we're not only given a choice and shown a way to eternal life, right, but we are given a promise. And what's that promise that we see in verse 14? 
that we're sons of God. Okay? And so, why is that something that's helpful in knowing, you know, in, in this battle of the flesh, right? If we were to put the deeds of the flesh uh, to death, then how is knowing that you are a son or daughter of God helpful in this? Why does he say this? Okay. So we're not relying upon ourselves to accomplish that. Um, and how so? Who, what, like, who then or what then are we relying on? What's that? Okay. So we have a model to follow in who? Okay. In Jesus Christ. Okay. So we have a model to follow. That's true. What else does it mean that you are a son of God? Okay, you have an inheritance. And why is that helpful? Okay. And what's, what is this inheritance? Okay, eternal life. John, did I see a finger up? <laughs> Okay, so, so that's that's where you know let's let's you know, that's where I want us to kind of like pause and think about this, right? Is when you're when you're if, if again this is a choice to live by the flesh or live by the spirit. Um, why do we, why would we choose to live by the flesh? Okay, so there's immediate gratification, and so there might be like something of like a promise that you feel like right now you know is better than something you know, else, right? And so when we understand this idea of an inheritance, right, this promise of something later is much greater than anything that we would have immediately. Unfortunately, when our eyes are on the immediate, then that's a problem. All right, so let's say we succumb to this temptation and we gratify the flesh. Um, where, then, where then do we sit, right, as believers when we know that we have sinned? What do we what do we feel within ourselves? Okay, <laughs> so that's true, right? Is that it's it's, it's ne- never measures up to what we think, right? And sometimes the thought of sin is, is well, often that's the case. And then what what else do you say? And okay, and sometimes guilt then then does what for us? Well, we're guilty of sin. So then we're presented this opportunity to live by the Spirit or live by the flesh. Well, after you've succumbed to the flesh, then sometimes it's easier to then succumb again to the flesh because 
you're already guilty of that. But what Paul wants us to remind ourselves is that we are sons of God, that we are, we are no longer bound and in control of Satan and what he, what he desires, right? But it's also who we are, but our ability as well, right? We don't have the ability in ourselves to overcome the flesh, but God does. And so now when he describes us as sons and daughters of of God, right? It's almost like now you have this ability to do so. He wants us to understand like who we are, right? We're not just the same people and like, I don't know, God's over here and he's just like, I wonder what choice you're going to make. Now, now you are on in the family of God and God seeks to have your good and wants you to succeed. Even after you failed, you're still a son or daughter of God, right? Even after you've committed this sin, right? God wants to remind you, right, that get back, you know, and live by the Spirit. And so then he, he describes some things, right, that, um, you know, uh, that are, you know, describe like what that means to be a son of God, right? So first, you're a son of God, right, that you are God's, He is your Father, um, and so that relationship is kind of understanding who you are, so know it and live by it. Secondly, then he says, like, then the way that we can respond to God is in what manner? Without fear. Okay, so he says, right, without fear, and then we've received the spirit of adoption as sons, and by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I know there's probably a lot that's been made about that term Abba, but right, this is again this like kind of paternal, like close relationship, what you would call your father who's in your life. He's not just like father distant. Um, that's how I am related on a family tree. And that's like not what God wants us to understand, but it is an intimate relationship, right? He's on your side. It's kind of like in the game of life, right? You make a mistake. And he's the coach on the sideline that is encouraging you, wanting you to succeed, right? That is now the relationship. It's not distant, but it is close. And so then uh, he says that um, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, right? So he again repeats it in different terms. You're sons of God. You've been adopted as sons. And the Spirit says that we are children of God because he wants us to understand, like, that's our relationship with our Father. And so what's the role of the Spirit? To guide us and lead us, but also, to what's that? To convict us, and by conviction, if we understand, like, we feel convicted by something, then that means, like, something's going on that's different, right? And so we are now, like, so when we do sin, there, there should be brokenness, and there is guilt, right, because of what we've done, but there's also forgiveness. But the Spirit, again, is there to remind us, right, that we are His. And so how does the Spirit convict us, right, or confirm these things? We've talked about a couple of them, but it also confirms these things about through the pattern of our life, through the fruit of the Spirit, right? Even with this one sin or these multiple sins, right, there should be, if you're walking in the Spirit up to that point, fruit of a lifestyle that is convicted and that is in bondage to God. 
And then finally, he says that we are heirs of Christ, right? Or, sorry, we're heirs with Christ. And so what Christ inherits, we will inherit. And so we, are, we know that we are heirs by the fruit that is produced in us. But Paul says there's one caveat, right? And so what is that? He says in verse 17, Provided we suffer with Him, in that order we may also be glorified with Him as well. And so another confirmation that we are in Christ is suffering. And John had mentioned that, right? That that is, uh, you are a counterfeit Christian. Is that the term you used, right? An undercover. Okay, an undercover Christian. Uh, Carford. Carford Christian. So now, going to verse 18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I want us to just kind of pause on that statement for a minute. I'm going to repeat it. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You know, so Paul, right, he suffered a lot. And there's a lot of different examples that we've looked at in his life of the ways that he has suffered. If we look at our own lives and the ways that we have suffered and the ways that we will suffer, those that will increase as well. And so, you know, Paul, again, wants us to think beyond our current circumstances and even think whatever suffering we're having now, and it's sometimes, depending on the context and depending on the letter, right, you know, uh, Peter and 1 Peter would exhort uh, uh, the recipients of his letter, right, to, to, um, you know, be steadfast in the midst of persecution because it's sometimes just easy to go along with the crowd to avoid persecution, right? To just be, you know, like Peter himself, right, and to deny Christ in a moment of, uh, you know, a moment of temptation because he felt it was more expedient to deny Christ than to say, no, I am one of his disciples. And so, you know, in this midst, right, in this suffering, right, Paul says you need to keep in mind, right, it's, it is, um, they're not worth compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So, what else does Paul say has been under captivity? Yeah, all of creation. All of creation. So, there's one sense like we've been set free, but creation has not. And he says that creation was subjected to futility. The last time he used that term, futility, uh, was in Romans 1, 
And we saw that the result of people blocking out the Creator, uh, that the result of that was that their, their thinking was futile. And when we looked at chapter 1, we said that that idea of, of being futile was something that was worthless or nonsense, and that their thoughts made no sense. That was, that was kind of the understanding that the way that they think is inconsistent with looking at the creation. Well, now that creation itself, who's supposed to right, echo the fingerprint of God and to point people to the fact that there is a God, people's, people will twist that in their thinking. Well, now the creation itself is subjected to that same senselessness, that same futility. And so, you know, there's a couple ways to think about this, but, you know, primarily Paul is saying, right, that once that was easy and lush and, uh, you know, and perfect, back in the garden has now become burdensome, right? And so it was the curse that, that Adam and Eve brought on themselves that subjected all of creation to futility, and so the creation is now waiting for the arrival of the sons of God, right? You and me. At some point, right, there will be a time where sin will be removed, and that will be the arrival. There is in some sense that the sons of God are hidden, are undercover in a different sense. But when that comes to light, that's when God is going to do something different, and we'll call that in the day of the Lord, right? Someday... Creation will be freed, and it will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So we are first, and creation later will receive those benefits, but not yet. And then Paul says that the whole creation has been groaning up until this point. So this idea of groaning, I don't know, you guys probably heard, when do you guys hear groaning or sighing? The, the definition is an involuntary response that, to something not desirable. <clears throat> so, what are, what, are, what, what are some times when you hear groaning or sighing? What's that? Tax season. Tax season. Go clean your room. The alarm clock. When you try to stand up. Right, so there's this kind of, again, guttural response that, you know, that we have to, to certain things. We all know, right, somebody says something and there's like an audible, like, sigh. You know, some people are like, did I just say that out loud? So, um, and so we all know kind of when those things come, right? He's saying creation is kind of groaning at, that, at this point. In what ways does creation groan? And it's almost a sense, right? Like, I think in, in the sense where, um, you know, we groan when, like, you know, we either feel like we know better or there's a sense where, like, we do know better and we would hope that somebody else knew better. Um, and so it's, it's kind of this idea that creation itself, like, knows, like, what could be different, right? Like, if everybody just <laughs> accepted Christ, the, you know, the author of all creation, if they just yielded to Christ, right, that would usher in 
a whole new era, right? Like that would bring forth the new heavens and the new earth. But that's not the case. And so because of that, creation itself groans. And there is like physical ways that the creation groans. And we see it just kind of in all of the pain and the suffering and the results of sin. You know, most of it's kind of like natural disasters or things that like, you know, we kind of befall to. But those are the the things that we see that, you know, are the signs of creation that we are not living how we should. Paul says that it's not only creation that groans, but we also groan too. Right? We talked about how we groan inwardly at different things and different experiences. Um, right? And so, I mean, I'm just thinking like, you know, this past, uh, you know, this past weekend um, of just kind of different things that like, you know, small things, right, that don't go to plan. Uh, you know, you're like, my car has broken down. Or... You know, uh, somebody is in the hospital or, you know, the things that, like, we have in our minds, like, how we think life should be going, right? But then other things get in the way. And it's all a result of, like, (laughs) decay and disorder and the things that, like, right, that naturally happen, right? They happen to everyone, but we feel like they shouldn't happen, Um and so we, even within ourselves, kind of groan inwardly at these things like, ah, oh, I can't believe this is happening again, um, when, we, when we have these things happening. But we shouldn't, like, be uh, surprised by it because it's the result of what it means to live within the flesh, right? And when Adam and Eve fell just that one time, Right, All of creation and all of the world were subjected to it. But now we have an opportunity that being in Christ, we are sons and daughters of God, we are children of God, that we have the opportunity to live not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. Why? Because there is an inheritance and there is something greater that awaits us. And so we're going to look at that a little bit more and finish this out uh, next week. We don't have the time to finish out uh, all of Romans um, 8, so we'll do that next time and kind of complete what Paul's thoughts are. But he almost like kind of leaves us like right here at a moment of like we groan too, but our groaning, right, is not just left there within ourselves. Because if that was the end of the story, we just sigh and say like, oh, I guess I'll go clean my room. <laughs> I guess I'll go, you know, do what I have to do because that's just how the world is. No, he says that the Spirit has been given to us and we have all of these things that are given to us within the Spirit and he'll give us all of those reasons, right, that we should rejoice. But for now, we have the opportunity to live by the Spirit. And what's one way is in Galatians 5 and Galatians 6 says, we can start thinking about serving others and get out of, like, serving ourselves by serving others, and by serving others, then we can start um, producing the fruit of the Spirit. And by producing the fruit of the Spirit, we continue to walk in the Spirit. And that will get us to what it looks like here on earth to achieving what eternal life looks like while we're still here in our mortal bodies. All right, any thoughts, questions, or comments before we break? 
Come, Lord Jesus, even now. Yeah, and there was, you know, it's, it's, when I remember when I was in seminary, there was a, uh, a gentleman, I don't know, he would take the bus to seminary, he was, uh, you know, probably like 20 years older than the typical student, and um, he had, he had some sort of ailment, right, where he could, you know, he slurred a little bit, and didn't have full use of, of his capabilities, so he kind of walked with like a little bit of a limp, and so we would go in the break room, and um all he would just, you know, I can't remember, I can't remember his name, but we, you'd say, like, hey, how's it going? He would always say, like, you know, I, I can't wait to, you know, be in the presence of the king. You know, it's almost the time, like, he, he would say it so much, right, that you kind of just, like, dismissed it. But I was almost like he was right there in the place that he needed to be. And while we're all in our studies and, like, parsing, like, certain words and translating Greek and Hebrew, right, um, he probably had a better idea, better theology than all of us because his focus was on what his life is going to be in eternity, you know, beyond the sufferings of this world, the creation, you know, the groanings that he had, even his own physical body. And I think, you know, Paul wants us to understand that as well. Um, And so the more that we can remind ourselves, right, that life on this earth is just temporary and transient, and so there is a future that awaits us that is more glorious. Um, we'll start walking in the Spirit even more. Anyway, I can rem- uh, anyway, I wish I remember his name. So, um, all right, well, we'll we'll break there and uh, pick this up either next week or the following.